1: only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell Laughing in the Face of
0: Motherhood. This is Margaret, and today I am talking to Charles Duhigg, who is the author of the New York Times bestsellers, The Power of Habit, and Smarter, Faster, Better. He is a staff writer at The New Yorker and was previously a reporter at The New York Times, where he won a Pulitzer Prize for explanatory reporting in 2013. His new book is Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection. Welcome, Charles.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: I am really excited about this book. Let's start. We like to always sort of start when we do our Episodes where we explore different dilemmas that parents face with the question, is this really a problem? And so communication, why is it such a problem for us humans? It seems like we should be better at this.
2: Well, what's amazing is how often we actually do do it well, right? I mean, we spend most of our days talking to other people. And somehow, despite the fact that it's so hard to figure out the right words and to understand if the other person is actually understanding you or if it's your kids, if they're even listening to you, we still manage (laughs) to transmit and share a bunch of information every single day. That being said, we all have felt that experience when we really connect with someone, Mm -hmm. right? If I was to ask you... You know, who, if you were having a bad day, who would you call that you know would make you feel better? Does someone pop instantly to mind? Sure.
0: My sisters, for sure. That's who I would think of. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. And so for you, your sister is a super communicator and you're probably a super communicator back. You do the same thing for her. You guys know how to really connect with each other. Well, there are some people who can do this consistently, right? Some people who have thought just a little bit harder about how communication works. And so as a result, it's not just with the people they're close to. It's not just when they get lucky. It's anytime they need to or want to. And that's what this book is really about is about what we know about the skills that these super communicators have, because it's not something we're born with. It's not something that, you know, only one personality that people who are charismatic or extroverts can do. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. It's, literally a set of skills that anyone can learn, whether we're an employee or a parent or a kid, to help us make our way through the world.
0: Well, and I think that's really interesting about the premise of this book, because I think that it is being a good communicator does feel like something that it's the can it be taught, it feels like something that is inherent to people. And I think that people feel like well, I'm this or I'm that, I'm an introvert or I'm extrovert, I'm good with people, I'm not good with, that person is so good with people, that person is not good with people. But the premise of the book is that this actually can be broken down and figured out to a degree that I don't think we give ourselves credit for.
2: And this is because of a lot of advances in the last decade in neuroimaging and in data collection and, and clever experiments that have been done. You're exactly right we understand the science behind communication now. And as a result, we can teach it to people. And you're exactly right. There's this kind of myth that like, oh, that person is just good with people. But what's interesting is if you look at super communicators, what you'll find is that very often they were people who struggled with communication at some point in their life. Perhaps they were shy and introverted, had trouble making friends as a kid. Maybe their parents got divorced and it was up to them to kind of like mediate between them. Or perhaps it's just someone who felt awkward when they got to high school or college. And as a result, they just paid a little bit more attention to saying, this is something I need to learn how to do. And it's that paying attention that makes all the difference. These are skills that literally anyone can learn. And it's just about wanting to expose yourself to them and then practicing them a little bit.
0: You start in the prologue with a George Bernard Shaw quote. We're big uh, of the era quoters. Our whole podcast name is a Dorothy Parker quote. What fresh hell is this? And the quote is, and I love this quote, the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. We were just talking about on a recent episode that Somehow entering the perspective of other people, it feels like the Tower of Babel. Like it feels so difficult. Why is it so difficult to see the world from our spouse's perspective, from our nemesis's perspective, from our child's perspective, that we just miss each other in communication?
2: Oftentimes it's because instead of having a conversation, <laughs> we're trying to have competing monologues, right? If I'm talking, and th- I do this all the time, I'm talking to my kids and I'm like, look, I'd like to talk to you about your room. And I'm not actually looking for a conversation about their room. (laughs) I'm looking to tell them they need to go clean their room right now, right? And then they have a pretty good reason why they shouldn't have to clean their room right now. And they don't want to have a conversation with me either. But the truth is, if we approach this instead by saying like, I want to have a conversation, then it changes things because the goal of a conversation is not to convince the other person of something. It is not even to find common ground. The goal of a conversation is to understand what the other person is telling you and to help them understand you. And as long as you achieve that understanding, then you've succeeded in that conversation. Now, the reason why that's important is because once we start focusing on understanding, all of a sudden, a couple of things become much more important. Like, for instance, listening. Right. (laughs) Do we have to,
0: Charles? Really? That's the most boring part of any conversation.
2: (laughs) It's true. It's true.
0: But it's actually. We can't just wait for our turn to talk. That's what's fun about talking. If you look at it
2: the right way, it's actually going to be the most fascinating part of the conversation. And in fact, the most challenging part of the conversation. People think that listening is really easy. I just shut up and open up my ears. But that's actually not how listening works, particularly if we're having a conversation about conflict. If there's something that we disagree with someone about or we're discussing a hard topic, What we found is that it's not enough simply to listen. You must prove to the other person that you are listening to them. And to do that, you actually have to kind of hack your own brain to listen more closely. And there's a great technique for this that's known as looping for understanding. And it has three steps. The first step is ask a question. And some questions are more powerful than others. And we can talk about that in a second. The second step is once the person's answered the question, repeat back what you heard them say in your own words. Sort of show that you've processed this, but actually process it. And then step number three, and this is the one we usually forget, ask if you got it right. Now, the reason why this is so powerful is because not only are our brains hardwired that when someone proves they're listening to us, we want to listen back to them. So you're ensuring that the other person will listen when you start to speak. But equally, if my goal is to be able to listen to what you're saying closely enough that I can repeat it back to you, I'm tricking myself into listening really closely. I'm not coming up with counter arguments in my head. I'm paying attention.
0: Right. There's a tip that I'm bad with names. Someone told me when you hear someone's name, you repeat it back to them. Oh, hi, Charles. You say it out loud that it Activates a part of your brain because I've often had the fight with my spouse, who's a bit of a nutty professor type, that I'll say, Well, what did I just say? And he'll say, Well, you said that the kids need to be there. I'm like, Just because you can repeat what I said doesn't mean you are listening. And he's like, I don't understand how that could be true. And I'm like,
2: Exactly.
0: It's somehow going into a bank and it's being accessed and regurgitated, but somehow you have not processed what I'm saying at all.
2: And that process is really important, right? That's why in that step two of looping for understanding, repeating back. In your own words, because what the goal is to push yourself that's
0: it, because it's not just a microphone,
2: right? The goal is to push yourself to process that, right? And sometimes the repeating back can be asking a follow up question that shows that you're paying attention. You know, it's interesting that you said that this happened with your husband. I'm wondering, like, does it ever happen with your kids? So I'm showing you through that second step, even though it's a question, a follow-up question, I'm showing you that I'm paying attention. I'm showing you that I'm listening. I'm asking you that question. Did I get it right? Like, is it, am I understanding this correctly?
0: And I think it can also help mirror to the person what they're saying, which also sometimes things come out where I'm like, God, you're so selfish. Just, you're always doing this. Let's just And with somebody repeating back to you what you've said, it also holds up a mirror to what you're saying, which sometimes we're speaking in the same way that my husband is listening. Things are just coming out of our mouths and we're not necessarily putting the intent behind it that the other person is absorbing
2: or listening to ourselves. And the truth of the matter is, that third step, if you ask, you know, did I get this right? The reason that's so powerful is because about a third of the time, the other person will say, no, like, I don't think you understood me completely. Maybe I did a bad job of explaining myself. Mm. Right? Again, if the goal is understanding, then giving someone a chance to do a do-over and say, like, actually, I understand why you think I was saying X, but but what I really meant was Y. Mm. That's really, really valuable. Because think about how many times We don't do that. And as a result, we think we've heard and understood, but we really haven't.
0: That's when we're at George Bernard Shaw. We're just having the illusion of a conversation. This seems like a lot of work, Charles. Do we have to do this in every interaction we have? (laughs) This seems like a lot to me.
2: The nice thing is... It's actually not a lot of work because our brains are, have evolved to do this naturally. We all have these communication instincts. If you think about it, communication is human's superpower. It's the reason Homo sapiens have done so much better than other species is because we can use communication to share knowledge, to build families and communities and cities and nations. It's It has been throughout history, the superpower that has put us at the top of the apex. Now, that being said, the reason that superpower exists is because it evolved within our brains. And so, our brains have all these instincts on how to communicate. And oftentimes, you know, our brains evolved in a very different world. Oftentimes, in today's world, we can get out of touch with those instincts. We can forget what we know. And so, part of learning these skills, such as looping for understanding, is just to remind you of what you already know. It's not hard to keep in mind and it's not hard to do because once you make it into a habit, once you say like, actually, I'm I'm just going to automatically loop folks, then you find that you do it without even thinking about it. I find I do it all the time now with my wife and with my kids and my coworkers. It's a pattern that it's very easy to fall into once we're aware that it's a good pattern to have.
0: I love it. All right. I'm talking to Charles Duhigg, the author of Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection. And we'll be right back.
1: Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers.
0: So you talk in the book about the three conversations. I found this really, really interesting because I think also part of it not being so hard is that communication has a lot of different roles in our life. Not every single conversation has to be like, okay, let me echo that. Like sometimes we're just kind of getting through the day. We're not talking about interactions. I think we're talking about conversations where we're trying to get to something maybe a little bit deeper than you grab that. I'll grab this. Let's go.
2: And sometimes a conversation is just that, right? Sometimes it's me turning to my wife and saying, what do you want for dinner? And she says, I'd like to have Indian food. And I say, okay, that sounds great. Which one do you want to order from, right? So, But you're exactly right that when the conversation gets a little bit more meaningful is when understanding the distinctions in these conversations is important. So my wife and I would fall into this pattern. The way I got interested in conversations in the first place is that my wife and I would fall into this pattern, which I think is pretty familiar to other people. I would come home from a long day at work. And I would be upset and I would start complaining about like, you know, my boss and my coworkers, and telling my wife how underappreciated I was. And she very reasonably would suggest some solutions. She would say things like, you know, why don't you take your boss to lunch? And if you guys can get to know each other, then it'll probably be easier for you to work with each other. But instead of being able to hear her, I would get even more upset. And and I would say like, you know, you're not listening to me and why aren't you supporting me and you should be outraged on my behalf. And then she would get upset because I was ignoring her good advice.
0: This is the conversation we have all the time with our kids, right? Like, oh, my teacher's such a jerk. You know, teachers should be respected. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That is not... I often will say to my husband who likes a good intellectual debate, I don't need the devil's advocate to show up during this conversation at all. I want you to get a baseball bat and just wail on this person with me intellectually because I don't need to hear that they may have a point. I'm not at that place. And it's like,
2: that's exactly right. Okay. So what's going on there? Why are we missing each other? Well, what the researchers told me is it's because of what we've learned in the last decade, which is that we tend to think of being a discussion as being about one thing, right? It's about, um, you know, where we should go on vacation next year or what we should do to help like bring up Jimmy's grades or something like that. But actually every discussion is made up of different kinds of conversations. And in general, almost all those conversations fall into one of three buckets, There's practical conversations where we're trying to make a decision together. We're trying to solve problems. Then there's emotional conversations where I come and I want to share with you what I'm feeling, but I don't want you to solve my problem, right? I'm like your kids and I don't want the advice. I want you to empathize with me. And then there's social conversations, which is about how we relate to each other and how we relate to society. And if we're having different kinds of conversations, we'll have real trouble hearing each other and connecting, Within psychology, this is known as the matching principle, that in order to really connect and be able to hear what the other person is saying, we have to have the same kind of conversation at the same time.
0: Let's just geek out on the phrase, neurally entrained.
2: Yes, yes. So that's exactly what happens.
0: This is the matching principle, right? So there's diagrams in the book, or not diagrams, just pictures. But it's kind of cool when you see it. Like inside one person's head is like swirlies, and the other person's head is a like a podcast, you know, a line. Right. And they, well, you want the pictures to match up, right? That's what it means to be neurally entrained.
2: Exactly. So when we actually connect with someone, when we're, when we're having a real conversation with them, what happens is that right now, for instance, our conversation, even though we're separated by thousands of miles, if we could detect it, what we would see is that our heart rates are starting to match each other. Our breath patterns are starting to match each other. And most importantly, our brain activity, our neural activity is beginning to look similar. And if you think about it, that's what communication is, right? That I can feel an emotion or I can have an idea and I describe it to you and you feel the same emotion or you have the same idea. Our brains begin to become what is known as neurally entrained. And this entrainment is the goal of communication, And once you recognize that, then all of a sudden it changes kind of what you ought to do in a discussion, right? Because your job no longer is just to say your piece. Your job is to figure out how to connect with the other person.
0: Wow. And so you talk about these three conversations in the book as you list them. What's this really about? Is the conversation, how did you say it? That's the, say it again?
2: The practical conversation. The
0: practical conversation. We're trying to work something out.
2: What's this really about? Yeah, what are we talking about? How do we make a decision together? How
0: do we feel is an emotional conversation. And then who are we is the social conversation. Okay, here's my question. Do I know what kind of conversation I'm having when I start the conversation? How do we get on the same note card? Like, how do we know we're both having the same conversation?
2: So the first thing is, you got to take a beat just to figure out what you want from this discussion, right? Like, if you're talking to your husband, or you're talking to one of your kids... Before you open your mouth, just take like, literally like half a second and think to yourself, like, what do I want out of this? Like, do I want us to make a decision? Do I want to understand how my kid is feeling and let them know that I understand how they're feeling? Do I want to talk about, like, you know, I understand that you made this choice, but you got to think about how it affects other people. And then to figure out what kind of conversation the other person wants to have, you should do this thing that's called asking a deep question. And a deep question is just a question that asks someone to talk about their values or their beliefs or their experiences. And it's really easy, right? It doesn't have to seem deep. It doesn't even have to feel deep. It can be as simple as, you know, instead of asking your kid, how was today? Asking them, you know, what was the best part of today? Like, what's your favorite class? What's the class that you look forward to? Because in doing that, what you're doing is you're asking them to talk about what they believe or what they value. Or if you ask them, you know, what grade was your favorite grade? Or you meet someone who's a lawyer and you say, oh, did you always want to be a lawyer? Like, what made you decide to go to law school? Those are deep questions because it invites the other person to share with you. And when they do, if you listen to them, what you'll hear is them telling you what kind of conversation they want to have. So if you ask your kid, you know, what was the best class you had today? And he says, it was math because, you know, I got a, a 98 on the test and I'm feeling really good about it. Well, that's probably kind of a practical mindset he's in, right? He's ready for, he's ready to talk about homework and grades. But if you're talking to another kid and they say, oh, you know, like actually drama, because today we read this one scene and it just made me feel so sad, but I was kind of happy to be sad. Okay, that kid's in an emotional mindset, right? And then we can decide how to match them. And that doesn't mean that we have to match them, right? We can invite them to match us and say, I want to hear more about drama, but let's talk about homework for a second. I need to get practical with you. One of the things that schools teach teachers to do in order to make this easier is that if a student comes up and they have a problem or they're upset about something, the teacher should ask, do you want to be helped? Do you want to be heard? Or do you want to be hugged?
0: Hugged. We've definitely heard this. Heard, helped, or hugged. We've definitely heard this on the podcast.
2: And those are the three kinds of conversations, right? It's smart.
0: Yeah. That's right.
2: Yeah, it's the practical conversation, the social conversation, and the emotional conversation. Exactly right. And my wife and I do that. It sounds like you do it with your husband. Like when I start complaining now, she's, which- (laughs) I try to.
0: Mostly (laughs) I just yell and scream and say, that's not what I need. That's
2: right. That's right. But when I start complaining now, what she often says is, do you want me to help you fix this problem or do you want me just to listen to you? And you know what? I appreciate it so much when she asks because until that moment, sometimes I don't know. And it helps me figure out.
0: Right. Well, that's exactly- the kind of mystery for me that I think that you're solving for me is do we even know what kind of conversation we want to have? not necessarily. We have to figure it out together both sides of the conversation.
2: absolutely. It's not
0: that one person comes in to be like, coming to you with this kind of conversation and now you have to match me. We both have to find each other exactly.
2: and sometimes it's just a matter of asking, right? It's just a matter of taking a moment and saying like, look, like, what are we talking about here? Like, why are we talking about this? Like, <laughs> What are we talking about? And why are we talking about is, it? Yeah, yeah. Is the goal just to kind of like share with each other? Or like, is there an actual problem that we need to solve? And like in marriages, that happens all the time, right? I complain about something and and my wife doesn't know, like, is he asking me to solve this with him? Or does he just need to vent? and the easiest thing to do is to ask.
0: Amazing. I am talking to Charles Duhigg, the author of Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection, and we'll be right back. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my
1: daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts, we agree on that thing. We were recently together
0: and we shared some toast with peanut butter, and I'm going to tell you, we used hero bread. It So we have talked about this on the podcast because I have something on the podcast that I have talked about called the theory of the hoses. And my theory of the hoses is that everybody has hoses that come out of them and that you have to connect with people hose to hose. So like if you have a lawyer hose and I have a lawyer hose, we can connect our hoses and talk to each other and that some people have like, yeah, 10 hoses, and some people have a 1000 hoses. And so some people, it's like they can connect with people on a million different things, because they're, I don't know if they're curious or whatever it is, It's like, they're 1000 hose people. I have a kid who's on the spectrum, and I would describe him at this pace in his life as like a six hose kind of a guy. He's, he's not, he doesn't have a million points of connection. But when he finds that point of connection with someone, it's on like Donkey Kong, like it's happening.
2: It's really meaningful. Can I ask you a question about that? When you think about those thousand hose people and you think about your son, for instance, is it that your son only has six hoses or is that he has many hoses, but some of them are hard for him to recognize and some of them are hard for him to share?
0: I think I would have to think about it a little bit more. I think for him, he has very selective, strong interests. So he has very deep interests extremely deep interest. So he doesn't have room to have a thousand because his goes so deep. And that I would say I'm a person who has many many shallow interests and real interests. Like I love to talk to people. I love to find out about people. I'm curious about people. And so I, you know, there was a Uh, secretary somewhere. I had a temp job years ago. And it was like, no one ever talks to her. She's scary. She's weird. And I ended up sharing a desk with her. And they were like, poor you. And then we ended up chatting for like 12 hours all day. We went out for a drink afterwards. And people were like, (laughs) what the heck did you talk to her about? And I'm like, she's really into Nordic dancing. If you just talked to her about Nordic dancing. But I'm fascinated. Like, who's into Nordic dancing? I want to find out all about that. My son is just, that's not his personality. He's like, I want to talk about Marvel or movies or, you know, different kinds of food. He's interested in certain things, but he's not interested in Nordic. That's not interesting to him.
2: So for many of us, I think we actually have more hoses than we think we do. And some people have learned how to how to recognize those hoses. I'm going to try out an idea and you tell me if you think it's wrong. That there are some hoses that your son might even be surprised to learn he has. Like, I doubt if I asked him questions about ice cream, it would be something that he thinks a lot about and is really passionate about. Mm. But I also bet he loves ice cream the same way I love ice cream, right?
0: Yes, everyone loves ice cream.
2: And if we went to the same ice cream parlor and I'm like, man, did you have that one flavor? He might be kind of interested. in. T- so in many ways, what matters there is not so much the hose that I'm using, showing you that I want to connect with you, showing you that I want to understand your hose, And this is one of the things that we know super communicators, consistent super communicators, people who are super communicators on a regular basis. One of the things that they do really, really well is they, for instance, ask more questions than the average person, 10 to 20 times more questions. But a lot of them are questions like, hey, what'd you think of that? Or, you know, what'd you say next? Questions that kind of like invite us in, but we don't really pay attention to. They they tend to laugh more because laughter is a way of showing that we want to connect. But most importantly, they show you that they want to connect with you. They show you either that they're curious or that they're listening. They show you that they have a bunch of hoses and they're interested in which hoses match up with yours. And it's that offer of intent. It's that invitation that makes us willing to find something that we have in common and to build on that.
0: And so- who is this a goal for all people should all people want to be super communicators or is it just that all people should, that there's a value in connection and therefore all people should want to get better at this? Like what, why super communicators?
2: Well, so I think both of those are true, right? Like if you look across, across the world, the people who are most successful are the ones who communicate best and think about how wonderful it is as your kids get older. You know, my kids are 12 and 15. The ability to have – oh, really? Oh. so I have one in the middle. Okay. I have a 13-year-old. Oh, nice. So, like – and I'm sure you're experiencing this, or, or tell me if you aren't. But, like, as they get older, the ability to have real conversations with them is so wonderful. Right? Now, that being said, that doesn't necessarily mean it's easy, because it's really, really – Natural to fall into that i 'm the parent you 're the kid i 'm going to pretend to have a conversation, but actually i 'm going to lecture you <laughs> about how i th- what you I think you should be doing differently, but if we if we are super communicators and we know how to invite them in, then all of a sudden they start telling us about their inner world, about you know their how they're getting along with their friends and what they 're worried about and what they hope for the future and what they 're excited about. It's so wonderful to hear your kids actually explain who they are. And the same thing is true with, with spouses. There, the largest study that we have of happiness is this thing called the, the Harvard Study of Adult Happiness. It's been going on for almost 100 years. And what they found is that the single greatest, greatest correlate with happiness over the course of a lifetime, as well as the single greatest correlate with longevity and health, is the depth of the connections that you have to other people. You don't have to have a thousand of them. Right?
0: That that's yeah. it right there.
2: You can just have 3 or 4 as long as they're deep and meaningful and real. And the way that we create those connections is through conversation.
0: Right. That's the crux of it right there. It works in our relationships with our kids, with our spouses, but it's also, and you talk and we didn't get into it that much, but I want to just touch on it before we finish, that identity sometimes gets in the way of these conversations clearly racial identity, political identity, as we see now in our country, like tribes and people who identify first as a political identity and lose an ability to connect with each other at all. And it really spoke to me. I think that this happens a lot to moms. Like, are you this kind of mom or that kind of mom? And these kind of moms do this and this kind of mom does that. And that we lose our ability to connect with each other because identity starts to get in the way of that. So, can we talk about that? Sure. A and, and
2: we know a we lot finish. about how to overcome that. And you're exactly right. The thing that gets in the way is when we have one identity, right? You're the organic mom, and I'm the mom who doesn't mind giving her kids Coke. You're the dad who, like, you know, is always distracted when you're at the playground, but I'm the dad who actually cares about my kids. You're the Trump voter and I love Biden. You, as a black woman, know what it's like to raise children in the society, and I, as a white man, have trouble understanding, right? These divisions become divisions when we see someone through the lens of just one other identity. But of course, the truth of the matter is, we all contain. Thousands of identities, like you might be the organic mom, but you're also the mom who like loves to let your kids do like crazy stuff on their motorbikes. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And you're also the mom who like volunteers at the school and is the crossing guard and who goes and knows a lot about how to preserve jams and can teach me that. The more that I recognize the different identities that you have, and you recognize the identities that I have, the less any one of those identities becomes important. And so think about, and so the first step in this is acknowledging our differences instead of pretending they don't exist, right? So think about how powerful it is to, if, and I've had this conversation with some of my friends and some of my, my coworkers who are, for instance, black, and I've said to them, you know, as things happen with policing, I'm curious, like, as a black father, you probably see this differently than me. But I know as a lawyer, also, you probably think about policing in a different way than I do. And as somebody who grew up in this town, I know that your dad was a cop. And so I'm just wondering, like, how do you think about what's going on right now? The way that I ask that question, I acknowledge the differences that we have, right? But I also, acknowledged that there's different identities that all of us possess, that you're a lawyer, that you're a father, that you're the son of a cop, that you're a black man. And in doing so, what I do is I make that conversation something where we all have the right to speak up. Because the only person who is an expert in being you is you. And so, if I say to you, as a mom, as a podcaster, as someone who who has a special needs child – you probably see this issue in a really interesting and different way by acknowledging that i create the space because you're the only person who is an expert in your your experiences and when you share them with me you're giving me a gift
0: yeah I love that. There's so much in this book for moms. It's not particularly a mom book, but there is so much. I think when you talk about deep connections, that isolation that moms feel is the removal of those deep connections in so many ways. So I really recommend this as a book for all of our listeners. It is called Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection by Charles Duhigg. Charles, thank you so much. This was a great conversation today.
2: Thank you for having me, I really appreciate it.